The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to another edition, our penultimate edition of our Spotify Live Detroit Lions call-in show right here live on the Spotify app, the dying app that has one more week left in it. Uh, This will be our second to last episode on Spotify Live, but we will continue elsewhere and we'll get to that uh, on a further date, I imagine. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer of Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online. With me, as always, answering your Lions questions here is, we're going to go to the managing editor first, the machine, if you will, at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric Schlitt is here. How are we doing, man? Good morning, buddy. I think uh, we're in a, we're going to have a great show. I'm really excited. I know we're getting near the end of this uh, whole Spotify Live thing, but I have a feeling that the energy at level is really good today. Okay. I, I hope that means you're ready to bring it because I, I am flustered early this Saturday morning, which is when you can join us for our final episode next week, Saturday morning. Uh, that would be April 22nd, uh, 9 a.m. Eastern on the Spotify Live app. Get it before it dies. But before we get into questions this week or talk about next week or any of that, let's bring in our senior editor of Pride of Detroit at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. How we doing, man? Let me hear them birds. Yeah, this episode is dedicated to the birds. Uh, I, I fully anticipate next week, we don't get like DMCA'd or copyrighted or anything, but I fully plan on playing the uh, Titanic violin music on the way out. So <laughs> go down with the ship. Down with the ship. Yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, if this is your first time listening, maybe on the podcast or joining us live, uh, this is a live call-in show, much like a radio call-in show. So uh, I'm not going to waste any time. Let's get to our first caller uh jason is on the line jason welcome to the show thanks for having me jeremy uh, hey ho- no problem hopefully i got the birds outside too to uh <laughs> add a little to this uh, question um you know my my first thought uh obviously a week or so ago the beast came out and uh, mm-hmm. being an athletic subscriber i love it and read through it and you know really started seeing some trends, I guess, and some people that were falling and prospects that all of a sudden were ranked very much lower than what I thought. So a couple of questions on just some specific prospects, uh, like uh, specifically cornerback. I saw Kelly Ringo was ranked like 36. Um, Cam Smith was ranked 62. Uh, Noah Sewell at linebacker had a four to fifth round grade. I, I feel like two months ago, these were guys that we were talking about taking the first round. 
uh, you know, Ringo top 10, Kim Smith top 15, Sewell, they were mocking to us at 18. Uh, is there any reason that these prospects yeah. are sliding and or could they be late round targets or mid round targets for the Lions? I, I love this question because it does feel like just, yeah, a couple months ago, maybe it was a little bit longer than that, but but not too far in the past where Keely Ringo was the number one corner in this draft class. And yeah, Noah Sewell was definitely being drafted to the Lions uh, early and often. So uh, I'll throw it to you first, Eric. What What do you make of that precipitous fall even though there hasn't been a lot of college football games played since that time. I, I think most of it has been perception coming off of the 2021 season and, and you know, evaluating where the, these players might rank or, or, or if they continue to ascend their climb in development, where they could project to. And then when the 2022 season came along, all three of those guys, well, not so much Cam, but other things happen with Cam. But the, with, with Ringo and Sewell, they both got exposed in 2022. And so if you were reading mock drafts like in December or January that were still mocking them in, in you know, like early, it's probably because the media is late to catch up, right? Um, Ringo had, uh, he's got a ton of athletic talent. And he played for Georgia. He had a tremendous, you know, early career uh, started out as a freshman was making big plays in national championship game. But some of his, uh, his hip stiffness has, has uh, was exposed. Some, some, he he wasn't matching up as well. He's starting to look like he may be like a, a zone cover corner only because he's, He's just he got toasted a couple times. Uh, and man, when you look at what happened to him in the in the college playoffs, uh, specifically against Ohio State, he just got exposed even further. And so Ringo has kind of been shown that he has potential. And if you put him in the right scheme, it's there. But that right scheme isn't always set up. Um you know, for, for teams at the top or just, you know, things that teams gamble on at the top with cam, it's more of like a size issue. Um, he's also kind of pigeonholed into that zone corner a little bit more. And I think that kind of dropped and believe it or not, he's actually gone up <laughs> recently. He was a, a lot lower, um, up, like about a month ago, I'd say um, he's actually been kind of climbing up a little bit more and there's still t- organizations that, that really like him. There's still analysts that really like him. I think the draft network still has him as like a first rounder, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then with Sewell, it's the same thing as like with Ringo. He was a dynamic player in 2020 and 2021. And in 2022, the Oregon got a new coaching staff. They implemented a new pro style system and, and all of Sewell's weaknesses got exposed in that pro style system. And so he went from a guy who was like, could Sewell be the next Micah Parsons to being, uh Oh, he's, he's looking more like Jelani Tavai. And so can you get Sewell in the right system and have him be a successful NFL player? Absolutely. Uh, but if you're just talking about a general team and a team like the lions where he doesn't fit as, as smoothly, he's going to be a little bit further down their board, or at least he's projected to. So what you're finding with these guys, and this is happening with other prospects as well, is that if you are limited in the style of uh, defense or offense that you're projected to, it's going to hurt your draft stock. But as we've seen in the past, like with, um, like with, um, Jelani Tavai, if the right team comes along with the right system and the right player, he could still end up going like on day two. It's just a matter of, can you find that right fit? And he does. And the fact that they don't fit every system is why they, these guys tend to be dropping. 
I, I do wonder, though, if maybe there's a little bit of a recency bias happening, right? Because you look at Ringo and, and he gets destroyed in the college football playoff. You look, you look at what oh, you yeah. just outlined with, with, uh, with Sewell. Like, yes, it, it was a more pro system, but it was also something he wasn't comfortable with. And it's not something to e- easy to adjust on a flight. Is, are we maybe overcorrecting with a guy like him? And, and, and like you said, like if you find a good spot for him, a good thing that, that can accentuate some of those strengths that we saw. I mean, we saw that he can play good football. Is, is it possible? Like he's a decent yeah. day two value for someone. And, and I'm not necessarily saying the lions. It, his ceiling is like Dante Hightower, sure. which is 10 year veteran. And you can <laughs> right. pro bowl. Like that's right. a ceiling, but his floor is Detroit lions, Panay, or uh, Detroit. Lion Panay. I got, I'm still mad. At that, <laughs> I got, he's on my mind. Um, he could be July. Right. Uh, anything to add to that, Ryan? Not really. The only thing I was going to say was what you said about Keely Ringo, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, you, you just put out one bad, you know, game tape, and it's like, oh boy, okay. Like for him, like that was just like the death knell, right? Like it was, it was, it was kind of right. over after that. But I, I think, I think to your point though, Jeremy, like that's why you see those guys kind of slip to that like day two, day three area, just because of what you said about, Hey, don't they have like a certain part of their skill set that can be used this way? And it's like, yeah, we're talking about a role player now, right? We're not talking about, Hey, Keely Ringo is going in the top 10 because people thought he could be your starting outside corner someday. Or, you know, same thing with Sewell being, Hey, he could be Dante Hightower. Right. But maybe he's more special teamer rotational guy. So that's really what's going on there. Right. I think that's fair. And I, I just want to point one other thing out, um, specifically with like defensive backs. What we see at the at the at the top of the defensive backs is um, a couple of Big Ten guys like Devin Witherspoon, um, Joey Porter, Deontay Banks. Historically, um, when you're projecting, you're looking to the SEC for your athletic players, and so Banks and and, and Witherspoon and Porter, those guys. I think the media was slow to get to because you don't expect or like, it's not often that you, these like elite top tier corners often come out uh, of the big 10. And so you, it it tends to get a a slower reaction to these guys now, whereas Ringo in the sec had success in the sec. People were were on him early and they had, and the expectations were very high. Um, I still think he's in that top 50 range. But like I, I do think the top ten level of talent was exposed this season, and that's probably why it's more in, in the latter part of the top. Eric claiming Big Ten bias or SEC bias against the Big Ten, uh, which yeah, I mean probably fairly true. Yeah. Maybe that would have helped out if uh, you know things wouldn't have caught up with Jeff Okuda. I kid, it's a joke. Oh, it's a joke. too soon, too soon. Uh, <laughs> Relax, JMO. Uh, Jason, appreciate yeah, the question, man. Good, thanks. <laughs> no problem. All right, let's bring in our next caller here. We got Nathan S. on the line. Nathan, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Great, great. Okay, so I have a scenario for you. All right. All right, so first round in – so at, at six, the Lions take, say, Anthony Richardson or Bajan Robinson just to – mess with you uh and at 18 they have Deontay Banks Brian Branch 
and uh, Brian Breezy or Breeze. I don't, I don't know exactly how you say his name. Uh, who do you think they should take there and talk about fits of each player? Okay. So we go, we go offensive skill player at, at six. Now we got some defensive guys uh, there. Uh, Deontay Banks, it was Brian Branch and, uh, and Brian Brisset. Is that right? All right, uh, Ryan, who's your, who's your choice out of that trio? I think it's Deontay Banks. I mean, and it's more than just like the combine hype. Um, I'm just seeing a lot of people that I really respect their, their draft analysis and their draft opinions um, talk just great about this guy after, you know, the phenomenon that Eric kind of just talked about, um, you know, where maybe some of these big 10 players, especially cornerbacks, uh, they kind of fly under the radar. Um, but you see a lot of people going back into the tape for Deontay and they're talking about a guy who, is mean, like he's nasty, like he he embodies kind of everything that you want in a football player, um, but he has like all these athletic tools too um, that just kind of project him as being somebody who could be, you know, a uh, an outside corner uh, for a team for, for a while. And, you know, some of those other guys there, like yeah, Brian Branch is a nice like Swiss Army knife kind of player. I think specifically for the Lions, they kind of already have a lot of those guys. And it's not bad that you have positional versatility, but I think at some point, maybe you want, you know, if you can get a guy who can be, you know, a locked down outside corner, those guys don't grow on trees, right? So getting getting a player like that at 18 would be be huge for them. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Deontay Banks would be the pick. Uh, but man, Bijan at six. I know Dan Pask says that Bijan at 18 is just a gateway drug for Bijan at six. Um, don't do drugs, kid. <laughs> uh, by the way, I, I pulled up the beast, and it's actually Brazil, Brian Brazil, um, which I've been pronouncing wrong all uh, off season. But Erica, do you go there? Do you do you do you fix the Lions' biggest need at defensive tackle and go Brian Brazil, or or do you go with one of those? I think the corners are better players overall um, from a talent perspective, so they're going to be a little bit higher for me. Um, and I actually, if you're going off pure talent, I actually think Branch is a is the better talent. But I do agree with Ryan that Banks might be the pick because I think they're close enough that you can start looking at, you know, where where can this where does this team invest, right? And so Branch is essentially like uh, a Gardner Johnson type player, and. and getting trying to get two of those guys uh on the field at the same time is, is pretty challenging right so i think it would be hard it would be like you know trading for buddha baker or something ridiculous like that right so i would try and probably put banks i think at the top of that trio even though i think branch is a slightly better player be, and because i don't want to answer this i'm going to throw in a a if if Kalijah Kansi is in the mix, does that change either of your answers? Not really. Not for me. I actually, uh, I, I always, well, how did you say, pronounce his name? Because I apparently I'm pronouncing it either. Brise, Brise. 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 Okay, well, I have been mispronouncing it then as well. Um, <laughs> I actually have him a tick ahead of Kansi. And I know that's against Norm. Um but I, they're they're like right there. They're like right next to each other. So yeah. I think the same thing holds true. And I know Cansey is a a hugely popular guy. And I think there's a lot of Lions fans that really like him. But in my opinion, I think there's a lot of Lions fans that like him because 
there's some need at defensive tackle, not necessarily because yeah. they like the player better than like another player. And, 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 you know, you get this, I get this all the time. Whenever I do pick 18 uh, in a mock draft, which, you know, a couple of them now, right. Every time is should have took a defensive tackle. And I'm like, why, why, if I don't think defensive tack, if I don't think there's a yeah. defensive tackle, that's the 18th, that 20th best player in this draft, I'm not going to take a defensive tackle. Then I'm going to take the best player valuable. And I think, right. you know, we often talk ourselves into position players and, and, and it's for me, I'm just not there with the D tackles on the Eddie. I think, I think it's what I like about both of your answers is that you've stuck to what, Brett Holmes has just been hammering home for the past two years that he's been here, which is we're just going to grab the talented player. We're going to grab the guy that we have the highest belief that he will be a good player in this league and figure out where he fits into our depth chart after that. And so I I think, I think both of you are right. Like if you guys both have corner, both those corners way higher than, than Brzee or uh, Cansey, then, then those guys are going to be the pick regardless of, of immediate need. And I think people need to get used to that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, yeah, that's really succinctly put. I, I think the other thing too is like Cansey for better or for worse, right? Just those unfair comparisons that <laughs> it's the, uh, whenever you're writing up a mock draft or, or even a draft profile, it's like the try not to talk about Aaron Donald challenge when it comes to him. Right. Um, and, and really it seems to, to yeah. me, Eric, that when it comes to Cansey, the, the immediate spot for him on this roster is situational and, I think it requires just a bit of projection and belief that you can get something out of him as a, as a run defender, um, maybe, maybe at any point in his career, but it, it, it just seems, it seems kind of tough to be at 18 and say, Hey, I mean, this guy might have juice as a pass rusher, but is, is, is he a liability in the run game? Yeah. I, I mean, that's the question, right? Like you, if you're only watching highlights, you're only seeing that aspect of him. Right. And, you know, I, I get that that's pass rushing, uh, you know, pr- prowess is, is, sexy, is, right? is something that the Lions need. Yeah, yeah. sure. Absolutely. Um, but this guy, he's 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 more athletic than a, than a lot of defensive tackles, which is also very appealing. But he's not like this. He's not like this, like otherworldly type athletic talent like he's he's an elite talent don't get me wrong but there are other guys who are at the same level as him or are, are the same size as him as and actually more athletic they're just not as maybe seasoned uh on the inside and so you have to weigh that athleticism with his production on the field versus how he contributes in different areas and i agree with you right if he if if Cansey is drafted i don't think he's a starter like even at, even if he's the pick at eighteen, I, I don't I I don't think he starts. Like I think Aleem stays at the three, and Bugs stays at the nose, and Cansey's uh, he comes on at the three third pushes, third down player, right? The, well, he, he'll probably grow into more, but sure, yeah, just like we saw James Houston. Yeah, I, look outside of Jalen Carter, there, I don't know if there's a defensive tackle that steps in and immediately wins a starting job. Um, in this class. Now there's good depth. There's guys that can grow into those roles. Um, but all of them have things that they need to develop pretty significantly. Don't you think that they want Josh Pascal to kind of put on some weight and kind of play a role that Cansey would kind of. Well, they've talked, they've talked about that 
uh, in the past where he has that type of range, right? Um, and and they they like collecting these guys that are like you know two hundred and eighty pounds because, but they already have a few of them. You know what I mean? Like they have, um, they have Pascal, they have John Kaminsky. Right. And then they, they have a couple of like, but then at the same time, Levi, remember Levi was a little underweight as well. So they, they don't mind adding these, you know, 270 to 280 pound, you know, interior linemen because they give them that flexibility. The question really becomes if, if Cansey is a guy that you're going to take in the first round, he needs to be not just better than Josh Pascal as a pass rusher, but he also needs to be a much better run defender and he has to be a guy who can live on the inside all the time and i think that's where i have some reservations all right good discussion there thanks for the question nathan appreciate thanks, it all right let's move on to michael thanks for waiting michael how you doing buddy awesome how you doing guys great so just to uh let me try to speak fast uh, Rick Spielman, GM, former GM for Vikings, had a show with uh, Dan Wilson or whatever from uh, with the first pick. They had a guest who was Ledger uh, Dubaika. I can't Duzaba, former defensive tackle. He said with uh, Jalen Carter and with um, Cansey, they were doing uh, defensive tackles. They said, Rick Spielman said, the short arms are going to hurt Cansey. He's not going to put him in there for any of the runs. But he really liked uh, Jalen Carter. And to alleviate that issue was uh, the overweight that he did. He goes, don't worry about it. That guy that was running the pro day was his defensive line coach for two years. And he's going to guess everyone. And uh, Edwards also said that that guy is going to gas everyone. They didn't show everyone else. So I want to alleviate that part. And plus with Carter being, uh, he was in a state of shock. Cause I can tell you that I've approached uh, vehicle accidents and he was in shock. So of course he was trying to divert, but also with uh, some of the other stuff with Carter, I think he's going to be pretty good. Sorry about that. Now to the question, you guys at pod have done awesome with the uh, visits I want to talk about imagine your visits as being Brad's big board. You look at how many people are there and just base your draft off of his big board on just visits alone, because usually we talk to somebody and Rick Spielman said, it doesn't matter what other teams think who's come in for a visit. They really don't care. Uh, Let's see. They have quarterback seven. So it looks like a backup. Guards, tackles on offense, they have 11. Defensive tackle, defensive end, they have 11. Linebackers surprised me. They brought in nine. Cornerbacks and safety, total of 12. So those are your career areas, especially, and a lot of people hate it, but I don't care about tight end. They have five going for tight end that they've already brought in for interviews. So if you want to do a future draft on who's, who's on the big board, but the surprising thing was who's not on the big board. Robinson, Gibbs, Oshane, Campbell, Henley, JSN, Witherspoon, Gonzalez, Banks, Cansey, Benton, Grizzly, Wilson, Smith, Van Ness, and White. I'll let you. 
Uh, yeah, no, uh, it, it's always interesting reading into some of these visits. Um, what, I mean, the, the one thing we, we always have to remind ourselves is that these are not complete reports. You're, you're pulling it from a whole bunch of different sources and not, you're not going to get everybody right. Um, maybe, maybe they have met with Gonzalez. Maybe they have met with Witherspoon. Um, we just didn't hear about it. And you know, that a, it, it's not just the top 30 stuff too, right? Like we, we got incomplete reports on the NFL combine and all that sort of stuff. So there has to be at least a little bit of um, taking it with a grain of salt, I guess. But at the same time, like when you bring in CJ Stroud for a top 30 visit, that is something that you should probably pay at least a little bit of attention to. So um, yeah, I, I, we, we talked a little bit about this, Eric, I think a week ago in terms of finding patterns and, and, and trying to digest what we we've seen from some of these things. And I think, our biggest takeaway was how many top 30 visits they spent on interior offensive linemen. We're talking Avila, Osiris Torrens, Jordan McFadden, uh, Antonio Mafi, Chandler Zavala. Um, a lot of guys, top 30 visits. Like those, those are the maybe the most important or valuable meetings for these players. So maybe those tell a little bit more than beating someone at the combine or at the pro day or things like that. So I don't know. Is there anything other? that that you've garnered from these visits that means anything to you? Yeah, I, I, I do think the, the hard part is, um, you know, trying to ascertain too much. Right. Um, and, and I do want to, I do agree with you to caution against that. For example, we only know of 10 visits at the combine and they get 45. So there's another 35 players that they talk to at the combine that we don't know about. And that seems to be, that was one of the biggest catalysts last year in projecting guys early. Like we didn't even know they met with Kirby at the combine. I think it was one of them. One of the guys that we, that was one of their big guys they met at the combine. We didn't even know about it until after the fact when that, when the lions in-house video was, was uh, distributed. Right. So it, it, it's, there's surely guys out there that have been visited um, for me. If you're talking, so getting back to your question, the, there's two guys that um, have double dipped with the Lions, both at the combine and a top 30. And, and so those guys kind of stand out to me. They're both tackle guard hybrids. Um, one of them is Jordan McFadden from Clemson. He was Clemson's left, left tackle for a while. He projects more inside the guard because he's uh, because of just his style of play, his length and stuff like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the other guy that has both visited, the other offensive lineman that has visited with them at the combine and the pro day is this, uh, this is his right guard or I'm sorry, right tackle, right guard at Tennessee. His name's Darnell Wright. I don't know if you've heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've never talked about This is your first time talking about him, I think. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, I think Ryan knows about him. Uh, that's where I heard him, I think. Uh, so Darnell Wright is a guy. So he's double dipped now. So it's one thing if you visit a guy once, it's another, if you visit him twice, like it, it tends to perk your ears up a little bit more, but, but, and maybe I'll throw this to Ryan. Is, is that maybe a sign that you have more questions than answers? Because I mean, you meet with a guy once you, you've heard Dan Campbell say like you, he sits in a meeting with a guy in the first one or two minutes, he can tell if he's that dude. Yeah. So if you bring him in a second yeah, I, time, I don't, I mean, it, it obviously indicates interest, but doesn't it also indicate maybe a little bit of skepticism? I mean, sure. You could read it that way. You could read it as they had a medical question that they needed to get, that they wanted their doctors to check out as well. Um, you could, you could absolutely read it a hundred different ways. Um, so yeah, it just depends on uh, if you're in a positive mood or a negative mood. 
Ryan, before we, all right, make me the negative guy. Uh, Ryan, before uh, we head out here in our first break, I'm I'm curious as to maybe like, is there a pre-draft visit that you look on on that list that we have at Pride of Detroit and think that's interesting or that's surprising or not enough people are talking about this one? Mm, I'm so glad you asked me this question because that's exactly the question I wanted you to me wanted you to ask me. Duh. Um, okay, so DraftKings, the official sports book of SB Nation, uh, something really interesting has happened like in the past week, right? The odds have completely flipped. For CJ Stroud to be the first pick is no longer the thing. Like right now, Bryce Young is minus 450 to be the first overall pick. Seems like there's a lot of momentum. I know Jeremy will hate that, but there's a lot of momentum now that seems to indicate uh, not just from the sports book, but from from analysts, from writers, from um, you know all these people that are that are thinking, yeah, things have flipped now in Carolina, and it seems like Bryce Young might be the guy. C.J. Stroud coming in for a top thirty visit is it's just something to think about because if. If they are not in Houston, if they are not as sold on Stroud being the guy and they thought they were going to have Bryce Young fall into their laps, how far does C.J. Stroud slide? You know, do, do the Colts really like Will Levis? Is there a team that's going to move up to three with Arizona um, and their tire fire of an organization where, you know, any of their good players are just looking to leave? Um, I, I just I, I find it very interesting that they brought in C.J. Stroud who, when they brought him in at that point, was still the favorite to be the number one overall pick. What do they know that we don't know? It's a fair question. And and part of it, I think you can explain by Brad Holmes saying, anytime you're picking in the top 10, it's it's important to do your research on the quarterback. So maybe you're just bringing in CJ Stroud to be like, hey, who have you talked to? Who do you think is going to pick you? Where do you think yeah, you're going to go? And right? getting that yeah. sort of what information. Have is, what have you heard from other teams? Right. Getting that sort of information is, is important in case the lines want to maneuver in the top, into the top five or in case a, a team is, is calling to, to move ahead of them. Like they, they, he needs to know that sort of information if he's going to um, have the full capabilities of moving around. But I also think you can probably get some of that information with a, without a top 30. I think top 30 indicates at least a moderate amount of interest in actually drafting the guy in this instance. Right. Yeah, yeah. So all of that true, right? But also part of me that thinks, what if they just think CJ Stroud might be there at six? It's possible. I don't think it's, it's likely, but it's possible. You, I mean, you never know. You never know with right. quarterbacks. Everyone has their own specific type. Um, and it certainly seems like things are heavily trending in, in the direction of, of Bryce Young being the first pick. Uh, but Eric, I know you want to get in here real quick. I was just going to say, if you listen to a couple of the analysts, that are in the know. And if it's specific, I'm going to point out a couple guys at NFL network, one Lance Earline, who lives in Texas and has been pretty accurate in projecting the Texans pick. Um, recently he is talking about them being in love with Bryce young and then having a big drop off to CJ Stroud. And that the room is he's re- reporting that the room is split on Stroud and mm. that there's a possibility they kick the can. Can uh, you take a quarterback when your room is split? <laughs> that's 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 the issue so if they take a uh defender which they're saying man they could you know if you're split on stroud and you know will anderson is sitting right there you know maybe you just take 
the, the, the defensive player. Right. And, and you kick the can on the quarterback cause you still have a, you know, moderately, you know, what, you know, you're, you have a bottom tier quarterback right now that's getting you by, but if Stroud falls to three, I'm not sure he falls past that. Then you can start talking about trade-ups and stuff like that. But I mean, who knows what the Colts, what the Colts, I, you know, everything about them is Will Levis, but is everything about them Will Levis right now because they like Will Levis or is it because they didn't think Stroud would even be there? Like that's so right. It's yeah. starting Important to decision get, to make. Yeah. Yeah. It's starting to get a little murky uh, with the quarterbacks, which is uh, I think a bit surprising, uh, but Stranger things happen. This is remember this time last year, you know, no one believed that Trayvon Walker was a good player. And then uh, all of a sudden lots of movement, lots of shifting. And, and uh, it was a week before the draft. And then it was like, Oh, look, they they might pass on Aiden. Right. And then it, that's the way it ended up going. So your question there, Michael, trading up and get, get the full. Value. Jeremy, uh, what show is this? What number? Oh, uh, it's our penultimate one, if that's what you're asking. I don't, I don't know what number Woo-hoo! it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. Go Lions. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it, man. Uh, and with that, we'll, we'll take a break here. When we come back, we are going to answer more of your Lions questions here on the po- penultimate episode of this Spotify Live call-in show. I can already tell it's going to be supersized, so buckle in. We'll be right back. And we're back here on Spotify Live answering your Lions questions here for two more weeks. One more after this one on Spotify Live until we find a new home here. But let's get back to the lines here. Mathis has been patiently waiting. Mathis, welcome back to the show. Hello. Hey, how's it going? It's going all right. How's it going with you guys? Great. So um, I, I, I saw in an article uh, from, I believe, Dave Burkett, that um Brad Holmes does not include does not have the draft uh that does not have the depth chart in in the draft room when he when he decides his picks so keep with that in mind how do you guys how do you guys think that um that affects um how he picks and 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 like because it seems like he's not going to take into account what our depth is at at whatever position he's just going to take strictly best player available do you think um how do you how do you think that changes the um what does that change anything how how you guys would pick um the players if you're doing predictive mocks um or or how does that change how does it change your thinking if it does at all yeah, I, I'm glad you brought this up, Mathis, because I do think it was maybe the most interesting thing that Brad Holmes said during his entire, um, you know, owners meeting, meeting with the media. And I feel like not enough people picked up on it. And we've talked about it a little bit here. I know I've had some conversations about Eric, but in, in terms of like how literal he means that he's not bringing in his uh, depth chart. And, and are they just like a strict, like very, very strict best player available uh, team because of that. And I, I want to throw it to you first, Ryan. Do you think that means like the Lions are taking best p- player available to an extreme? Or do you think, you know, Brad Holmes knows the depth start on a certain level? He knows the, you know, what are going to be the long term needs of this team. So 
that's still going to be in the play, even if there isn't like a literal piece of paper with, with the depth chart in there. Yeah. That seems like a little bit of theater, right? Like this is what this guy eats, sleeps and breathes is, is, you know, turning this team into uh, the, the vision that he has for uh, success. Right. So I, I think when it comes to the whole, Hey, I don't have the Lions depth chart in there. He knows everything. Right. But I, I, I do think that this approach um, has just been in place since his very first draft. Um, he was just interested in getting the best players that, and, and, and sometimes to a fault though, right? Like it just interested in getting the guys that he believes in, whether it was thinking about trading up for Jamar Chase in that first draft, uh, being super excited that Panay Sewell fell to him, being super excited that Aiden Hutchinson, Hutchinson fell to him. Um, just, <clears throat> I, I, I think that he has really taken a BPA approach um, but now it's just being realized by a, a lot of us because now they are in this position, right? They don't have a ton of quote unquote immediate needs to address. So I think this is where, you know, things are really taking off and people are kind of opening their eyes to, Hey, wow. Uh, this is a, a draft strategy that seemed to be in vogue for so long. And you hear so many people talking about just taking the best player available approach. Well, I mean, now the lines are living it. So I, uh, I'm excited for it though. That's what, that's what's going to make this draft exciting. Right. Yeah. And it, well, it's interesting too, because like early on, you couldn't really tell that they were going best player available because they had so many needs that just about every pick was like, you could justify as a, as a need. Right. And, and now they're like the opposite point where they don't have a lot of needs. So of course you would go best player available because you can, you can justify any picket at any position. But, but Eric, I think, I think you, if I'm, if I remember our conversations correctly, you, you kind of fall in line with Ryan that this is a little bit of an exaggeration of, of his actual draft scenario. Yeah. I mean, look, I can tell you the depth chart right now at the top of my head, if we needed to, because I stare at that thing every day, you know what I mean? So it, he knows what's, he knows what his roster looks like. He knows where the players are. He, he's going to know the contract level it, it, of each of these guys as well. So I do agree with Ryan that it is, it's a lot of theater. The, the thing I think that illustrates that it's not always strictly best player, that there is some consideration given to the roster is if you think back to his first draft and he's sitting down with Sheila Hamp and they're talking about the fact that they um, drafted Aline McNeil and, uh, and Brad Holmes says, we felt like he was the only legitimate nose tackle and, and um, you know, we, there wasn't another player like him and, and this is the guy that we wanted. So we took him. And, and so that sounds like best player available. And then she says, well, what about adding a receiver? And he says, well, look, we, we've still got the guy from the kid from USC in round four that we think we can get. So he's still thinking about positional value and he's still thinking, okay, these are like positions that we're going to need to address because that was a very obvious need at that time. But at the same time, he's also, he's not going to reach for, for these guys as well. Like he's going to address needs, but he's there. The best player available strategy is also like interwoven in that. Right. So he's, he doesn't have the literal Jeff chart, but like Ryan said, you know, he knows where they're good. Now he knows where they're, where they're, he's not going to draft an offensive tackle to play offensive tackle, right? He's not going to draft an offensive tackle that can't have some positional flexibility. Like there's, so I think you have to take, there's some nuance to this that you have to, uh, you know, keep in mind that, it, you know, while he's not totally disregarding the depth chart, um, 
it's not the driving motivating factor, which is, I think, the point. Yeah. The the offensive tackle one is, is interesting to me, though, because I'm not – I don't know if I'd put it completely past him. Um, because, because I think, the you know, I think one of the follow-up sentences that, that Brad Holmes said after after that kind of viral quote is, you know, you know what, what your depth chart is today might not look anything like it is in November, right? And, and, and it's a good point to be made. Like, you don't know mm-hmm. – if these guys are going to make it to, to the end of the year, you don't know if these guys are going to suffer a serious injury that might threaten their career. Like you need to just get good players. And I, listen, I don't want to be the millionth person to suggest that it's time to move on from, from Taylor Decker, but there has to be a, a, you have to start thinking about those plans too. Right. Just like we're, we've been talking quarterback for, for, months and months and months like there has to be a succession plan that you're at least thinking of and the draft is all about those succession plans it's all about thinking down the line a few years down the line and when you look a few years down the line of any roster there's like only a handful of players that are signed two three years down the line so that makes it so that everything is kind of a need if if, if you want to look at it that way um but but yeah obviously there are limits right if, if you have a franchise quarterback and you're sure of it you're not going to draft another one. Um, but both Dan and Brad have also said, like, we are always looking to, if, if there is an upgrade at any position, we are going to look into that. And so that makes me think that I I wouldn't be completely, I mean, it would be surprising. I wouldn't be completely shocked if they drafted an offensive tackle to play an offensive tackle, to play offensive tackle. I like those thoughts, Jeremy. Right. I just think it's interesting. I just think it's interesting. I mean, it would have to be a guy that, that is a their clear number one on the board, right? Like it would have to be so that he is in a separate category from everyone else. And so, yes, you are playing into positional need a little bit, but I just think if they they believe they can't miss offensive tackles there, let's say at eighteen, and he's a, 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 a tier above the rest, I think they'd consider it. But but would that same conversation happen if we're at six? If if the prospect was there, but I don't I don't know that there is. Yeah. Look, you don't need to take a Panay Sewell at six. You can get him at 24, according. All right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have never tweeted but that. you got to take night. that top. Uh, that, uh, so early, right? At six, he's got to be six. <laughs> I Here's the thing. I like Hufanga a lot. I think he's a really good player. I do. Um, I also think he probably benefits from being on a really good defense in San Francisco. But anyways, we don't need to get into that silly uh, redraft by NFL.com. Uh, but Mathis, I do appreciate the question. All right. Uh, let's move on to Caden. Thanks for waiting, Caden. Welcome to the show. Hey, can you hear me? Yep. Awesome. Uh, I just want to shout you guys out for, you know, always hosting this almost you know, every Sunday or Saturday, sorry. Um, and dealing with the guys that, you know, kind of drone on and on about like, they don't really ask a question. They just kind of puke out statements, <laughs> not talking about Dan pass, Dan pass is the only one that can no, no. do that. This is the thing that comes with call-in shows, right? It's like a radio show. Some people want to just kind of voice their opinion and that's fine too. Um, to get their takes off. Yeah. yeah. They they like to hear their voice when they re uh, when they replay the podcast. But um, my question I is, seen. I feel <laughs> my question is specifically for you guys, and it will probably involve the Lions. But between you guys, what is your favorite memory 
with each other. And Eric, why is it when Jeremy screamed at the top of his lungs uh, during uh, the one of the Lions games this past year? <laughs> oh, man. I'm trying... So- the amount of times that all three of us have been together, we've probably we can probably count on one hand. I imagine. Um, I, I I think I need some time to think on this one. I don't know. Well, the is is, is I'm sorry to clarify. Is it is the question when all three of us were together, or is it just? It can be in pairings, like Ryan with Jeremy or Jeremy with Eric. I just have to be included. <laughs> Since I bring everyone together. <laughs> no, I can oh, Eric and oh, You don't get special treatment. <laughs> All right. Uh, real quick, my, my navel gazing. My favorite time was when uh, I went to B-dubs with Jeremy when he was right around the corner from my house. Oh, hey, my dude, God. it's a joke. Relax. Um, for, for me, with, with Eric, um, specifically, I think one of my – and it's not like a specific time, but like I'm thinking back to training camp, um, Jim Caldwell era. Right. Like we're talking, you know, 20, 2017, man. I think that was the, the off season. Um, you know, it was myself, like Reno would be there. Brett Whitefield would be there. Mathis, Mathis was, was there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people, if I'm forgetting any of you, I'm sorry, but, uh, I do remember Eric being there and I remember like wanting to be near Eric. Cause I'm like, this guy seems like he's pretty observant and smart. So I'm going to stick, stick next to this guy. So, um, yeah, I mean, like as far as football memories, yeah, like uh, that that stands out to me with with Eric. Those were fun days because we used to all sit in the bleachers because none of us were credentialed at that right. point, right? And um, it was yeah, like Kent was there, and, I, uh, and like we yes, used, Kent. We used to, uh, and uh, Whitefield ended up showing up. Uh, I think like a year or so later, right? And uh, no, he was there that time too, like in in the in the early era, man um yeah it's it yeah. just time, time it was, flies. It was crazy right like and and the, the the cool thing was was that we all wrote for like different publications as well right so it's like yeah. we right with that pff <laughs> right right whitefield was a pff uh i was at that time geez i was somewhere else uh regardless <laughs> um but we all like had this this like cool community where we could talk. Like I I remember. Uh, do you remember when Reno got blocked by uh, Ian Rappaport? And <laughs> yeah, Randy, and, and Rappaport went down was and brought it. Went down and, we, and brought yeah. his phone to him. Yeah, like, dude, you had me blocked. <laughs> right. Like I took a video of that, and like uh, like that was hilarious. Um, I can remember like the, the cool part about the Detroit media is that. Even when we were uncredentialed, I walked down to the corner and I w- I talked to like Dan Miller for like forty five minutes at w- one practice, like because like he just would talk to you, like he was he's just Dan's a, just an incredible person, and so like all those days were like really cool. Ma- Mathis used to help me do attendance, like where he used to call the numbers out, and I or I used to call the numbers out, and he would check them off, or you know we we I do that with Jeremy um, all the time in, in training camp now, but. Um, yeah, Mathis was a, was was a, was a cool part of that, and uh, it was just so it was so much fun. We got to like we we're basically just sat in a small little circle in the bleachers, and we just talked about what we saw going on, and it was just a, a real cool community that's really evolved, uh, you know, into a, a really special thing. Yeah, I think those those training camps 
have to be part of the conversation here because it is, it's not just about us hanging out and an opportunity for us to hang out and talk football for two and a half hours while they practice. Um, but it is that, that community aspect of it too, getting to see people that we know either from Twitter, from these things, or, you know, just knowing them in person and that sort of stuff. So that those times were great. Even, even before I moved back from, from California, um, I don't know why this this one comes to mind though, and it's going to also involve Dan Miller. Maybe that's what sparked it. Um, Taste of the Lions with with Eric and his wife, and and his wife just kind of fangirling over Dan Miller uh, was was. I mean, Taste of the Lions. I'm going to say right now, it is it is the best event that the Lions throw. It's you get awesome food, you get to talk one on one with a bunch of Lions players. Um, you, I think that's part of where. Uh, my my personal relationship with with Graham grew a little bit, uh, Graham Glasgow. And so, if they, I don't, I don't know if they're going to do it again this year. I know it's been a while since they've done it, but I would highly recommend. Um, I know it's on the pricey side, but if it's in your budget, I would definitely recommend going to those Tate's Alliance events because they're they're really cool. Yeah, my my wife has a picture with Dan, a picture with Graham, a picture with Marvin Jones, and uh, and another mm-hmm. one with Quandre. So she was hoping that the trend of returning to Detroit was, <laughs> was going to continue with Quandre. Maybe she's maybe she's a prognosticator, and he'll end up uh, a season with an hour or something. There you go. It, it, for 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 me though, like uh, times with Jeremy, just because they were kind of so like limited, right? In in terms of like mm-hmm. so much time, you were being a Cali boy. Um, and being on the West coast. So I feel like a lot of, a lot of like the cool memories are like going back to like the Facebook lives that we used to do, um, way, yeah. way back in the day. Uh, but I, I for me, like in like trivia, like trivia nights were the best, like the vindicators. True. I mean, great, great times. <laughs> yeah. And then you both left me. Don't disrespect the Cali boys. We're very far and few in between over here as lions fans. <laughs> Yeah, go get your avocado. <laughs> oh wow, that's a that's a hot take, especially in California. But <laughs> your, your Cali boy card just got revoked, Kate, and I'm sorry, <laughs> buddy. Uh, appreciate the question, Kate. I always like those ones that kind of mix things up a little bit and break some of the uh, the monotony of the draft talk. All right, let's uh, let's see if we can fit a couple more in here before break. Uh, we have got Jacob next. Welcome back, Jacob. Hey, y'all. I'm wondering if there's a position that might get left out of the draft in a surprising way, much like the dog might get left outside of Ryan's neighbor's house. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I think as fans, we have a general sense as to the top needs that we would highlight, defensive tackle, guard, quarterback, backup or otherwise, you know, running back, tight end, maybe linebackers in there, too. So, um you know, Ryan has brought up the point several times that he he doesn't think Brad Holmes is going to use all these picks this year. Um, and even in this last mock draft that Ryan and Eric ran, if you do something like take a kicker late or, or you know, double dip on a position, you're potentially then just losing out an opportunity. So just reading the tea leaves or, or the top 30 visits as folks have talked about, is there a position that you think maybe just doesn't make it in this year's draft class? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I, I, there are so many different variations of how this draft can go and who would be on the board that I, I feel like you could almost answer any position and it wouldn't be a disaster. You know, it wouldn't be a disaster if the Lions didn't get a corner. It wouldn't be a disaster if the Lions didn't get a tight end or a guard or whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if, if one of you guys have an opinion 
opinion on on something that is maybe more likely for the Lions to skip over this this uh, uh this draft. I'll go to I'll go to Ryan first. Or no, Eric. Eric muted unmuted in first. He gets to go first now. Well, I, you left that one vague, so I was like, I'm not going to make Ryan go if he's not ready. So, um, for me, the thing, the the one position that I think we get yelled at every time the most that we get yelled at every time that we do a mock draft is, I think, quarterback. I they always, <laughs> why didn't you take a quarterback? Well, once you get to a certain point, they all kind of are about the same, and you can get maybe you can get one under, as an undrafted guy. And so, like, I think quarterback is the one position that they're not going to reach at. Um, I think they're going to, if they're going to take one, they're going to take a guy that has some promise who, who can, you know, contribute for them. Um, whether that's, uh, in the, in the, in the room on the, in the practice field, whatever it is, uh, they're not going to just take a quarterback to just take one. So, uh, I could see quarterback being something that fans are up in arms about after. And plus they, they potentially, and maybe this is just me reading too much into the situation, but they, they have a Teddy Bridgewater potentially waiting for them after the draft so that it isn't just Nate Sudfeld and, and Jared Goff in, in your room there. Always. There's always a. Yeah. I actually thought you were going to say linebacker um, because people get very upset about linebackers and people are very upset when I say certain things about certain linebackers that may or may not be on the trade block. But, uh, but Ryan, who's what's the position you think that the lines might not address in this draft and probably will be okay with it. Um, yeah. Eric stole my answer with quarterback. Uh, so I'm going to say tight end. I think that that could be a position that gets left off, even though it's like one of the deeper positions in the draft you know that they they could you know eric and i have run a couple of mock drafts now and, and we notice like you know picks 18 through all the way to the end we always are like hey they could maybe take a tight end here but you know they're they, they could take another guy at a, at a different position that they seem to value more than that because again this is the team that traded tj hawkinson uh at the trade deadline and seemed to do just okay uh, with without him as far as Ben Johnson and his ability to to scheme open tight ends so I, I think that could be another position that that gets left off but I, I don't think a lot of Lions fans would be super upset about that I I uh Eric and I have taken tight ends in our drafts so that's why I think the whole ire about quarterbacks has been pretty loud uh I I, I want to throw a question to you guys though I thought what was really interesting was that list of 17 players that are going to attend the draft so riffing off of jacob's idea which one of those is going to be the dog left outside the house barking of those 17 guys you have jordan addison will anderson jr brian branch jalen carter zay flowers christian gonzalez paris johnson jr will levis joey porter jr anthony richardson Bijan robinson jsn cj stroud tyree wilson devin witherspoon bryce young and keon white man Throwing, throwing, uh, throwing me off here. Uh, really quick, I, I do, I do want to address tight end really quick because I, I'm with you. It's something that they could certainly avoid. I just, I don't know. It feels like they're to me. I, I, I would, I would disagree a little bit. And part of it is, it's the news that they were interested in Frost, Foster Moreau, right? Um, that came out via Dave Briquette this week, and um, he says the expert, in there. He, he says the yeah, he likes to sneak in some news there. Um, but then he also added like the lines are expected to add a tight end. And I don't know if, how much of that is him editorializing and how much of that is his, him reporting, but 
I don't know. It, to me, it feels like early on in this draft process, there was a lot of people that pushed back at the Lions drafting a tight end because there was this perception that the national media was only doing it because TJ Hawkinson was traded at the trade deadline. But I think you also have to take a long look at this team's tight end group. And while it's not horrible, I don't think there's like a clear, like, he's your number one tight end. And you can say the Lions didn't need it last year. They were fine without it. But you, you do realize that this is a tight end head coach, a tight end coach at offensive coordinator, a tight end coach at your passing game coordinator. And now you have a, a gritty tight end coach who used to be a tight end in the, in the NFL. Like they value that position. And I think they, I, th- I think anyone can look at the room that they have right now and say, you need to upgrade that room. There's plenty of room to upgrade there. And so I, I think I'd actually be a little bit surprised if they didn't get a tight end. Is, is it fair, though, to look at James Mitchell, right, and say, hey, maybe the Lions really like this guy who probably should have gone day two, sure. but they ended up getting him on day yeah. three because of the. No, I mean, no question. I think I think they probably hope that he's going to be their best tight end. And they like Brock Wright. And, and maybe that's all you need. Maybe that's maybe you're comfortable with that. But. I'd be surprised if they're comfortable with that. I think I think they want more out of that group and. Um, it can be a game changer too. If you find a real, like, legit tight end, that changes everything. Yeah, I think the issue with tight end could be that it's a deep class, and so you end up thinking, "Well, I, I can get this guy now, and I can get a tight end later." And then you right. kick the can, and then you are like, "Oh, I don't like any of the guys that are left." Um, I think that's a distinct possibility as well. Um, circling back to Ryan's question, though. Um, the guys that stand out to me on the attending the 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 draft, um, I, I think Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers, the receivers, are both guys that could sneak in. But I also think they're both guys that could that could fall out because they're not traditional like wide receiver ones. They're more like you know complementary type wide receivers. And then uh, probably the lowest rated guy is Keon White, the edge out of Georgia. But when you're 66285 and you have some movement skills like Keon White does there's a team that's going to you know end up falling in love with him probably and I could but I so I could see him still getting into that uh, bottom half of the first round or like that the bottom third of the first round um but he's probably the lowest rated of, of the players that are attending yeah I think I think I'd probably pick out one of these wide receivers as well I, and I think I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be the first one off the board. I think I think just the writing on the wall there is that he's very good. So Zay, Zay Flowers is the one to me that I'm curious about. I don't I don't know if three are going to go in the first round, and there's three that are that are scheduled to be there at the draft. And so if I had to guess, one Zay Flowers, you know, five nine, one eighty two, kind of a a, a, a I, I don't want to say pure slot, but seems like a very specific role with a guy like that, a very limited role with a guy like that. And so I don't know if he's necessarily a guy that I would pick in the first round. The, the, the thing, the crazy thing is, is if you look at the top six wide receivers who are probably bound for the top 50, four of them are like slot vertical guys. And, and so it's like how many of those guys, how many of that style of guy is going to go that early? Like that's a, that's the real, right. All right. Uh, I think we'll take a break after that one. Jacob, thank you for the question. Again, I think we, we ventured off from what the original question was, but uh, hopefully we got to what you were looking for. Love it. Thanks. 
All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we are going to finish things off here on Spotify Live, answer more of your Lions questions as we are now less than two weeks away from the 2023 NFL Draft. We will be right back. And we are back here on Spotify Live, closing things out on our penultimate episode before Spotify Live closes things up. And we're at the draft anyways. Kind of coincides nicely there. Let's get back to the calls. Uh, Daniel J is with us. Daniel, welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Great. You can hear me. I hope I'm, I'm halfway around the world. I'm calling, oh, in, the- I'm calling in from Bangkok. So, Wow. I don't know if it's early or late or neither, but thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, no, I know. It's uh, it's 920 at night. I uh, Yeah, I had kind of a rough night the other uh, a little earlier, so I'm just taking it easy, even though it's a Saturday night. But then uh, tomorrow I'm playing to Germany and then Istanbul. So this is my one. Wow. Yeah, it's my one time to call in. And I just before I jump in, I wanted to say I went to a Lions game last year. Your guys recommendations worked out great. Uh, Eastern Market was awesome. Sweetwater Tavern was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Ford Field was awesome. Losing to the Seahawks was not so awesome, but but even still, yeah. And I'm so je- entertaining game. I'm so jealous of Dan Pask. He got to go see the Lions win. So, but <laughs> like whatever. And the Motown Museum, by the way, national treasure, totally awesome. Okay, so my question is, I'm really, you know, you guys get really granular, and uh, it's actually more detail than I can usually handle. But I'm kind of interested in what you think about the general shape of the draft uh, or about how Holmes will approach it. We know that, you know, we can't predict what he's going to do. Maybe he's going to, like, move up and go get his guy. You know, he will target someone and he'll go get him. But we also know about Brad Holmes is that, uh, you know, he's very good at letting the draft come to him. You mentioned the Amon Ross St. Brown, obviously Malcolm Rodriguez, John Houston. So my question is really, like, you know, where is the value in the draft, you know, as, as time goes on in the later rounds? Where is he going to, you know, not trying to make specific predictions, uh, which is impossible, you know, but where do you think that, you know, value might fall to him on on day two and, and then on day three? Good question, Daniel, because, yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out that the Brad Holmes has done a pretty good job on those days, um, knocking out both needs and, and finding good, um, talented players. So uh, and, and obviously that all depends on, on who's there, what kind of depth there is at curtain positions. So I'll throw it to you first, Eric. Who's What's a position do you think that, that maybe the Lions, I don't know if I'll say gets a starter, but gets a, a talented contributor um, in, in day two or day three? I, I think day two is really where your offensive skill players are are just loaded up, right? You've got like we we talked earlier about how many receivers might go in in the first round. Well, a couple of those are going to kick into the, into the second. Then you probably got another I don't know six, seven, eight, nine guys uh, just as as receivers uh, that are probably going to go on, on on day two. You've got 
probably seven tight ends that are going to go in the top 100, right? And then the running backs, it can be the same thing. Like you can have another like six or seven guys that seem like they're going to go, but maybe 10 end up could go because there's a whole bunch of guys that are like right on the fringe. So when you're looking at like, what's that? You know, almost 30 guys or almost 25 guys uh, in your offensive skill group that can go in those uh, 64 picks. That's a, that's a lot. It's half, you know what I mean? Like, so the talent is really there uh, on day two to try and get better at the skill player uh, position. Ryan, are you, are you eyeing any uh, other position in terms of their depth and, and maybe getting a, a valuable player there in day two or day three? Uh, so, so one of the players that fascinates me is Darnell Washington, right? And, and his draft position is just all over the place. Like could be in the twenties, could be in the fifties, who knows, just because he is such a throwback prospect. Uh, in the sense that he's a traditional inline big dude at tight end. I mean, he's got like the size of somebody who just needs to put on a little bit more weight to be an offensive tackle. Um, but it, he seems like he could be a guy who could just unlock something for this Lions team. <clears throat> Not super concerned about what he could bring to the, the passing game, just because I know Ben Johnson can scheme open tight ends. So I, if he was there at 48, I would be head over heels for Darnell Washington. That being said, he's he's been you know brought in some some top thirty visits to, um, you know I, I think the the Panthers brought him in, the Bills brought him in, the Cowboys brought him in. Who knows if he can get all the way to forty eight? Um, so it might shock people to say that like I would like even maybe moving up a little bit in the second round. And you kind of have that luxury now because you added that Jeff Akuda pick. Um, you know maybe package some stuff up and move up for a guy that could really change. What, what this offense already really loves to do, and that's just bully people. Yeah, when when I think about this question, I think normally on, on day two and day three, especially as you get towards closer to day three, you're really looking for role players, whether it's special teams. Special or, teams guys, right? Yeah. Or sub-package guys. Because, like, you look back on on the James Houston pick, and you even talk to the, the coaches and, and the people who drafted him, and their idea was – he can play special teams right away for us. He's like that that kind of high-energy guy, high-motor guy that, that can play special teams for us. Turned out he was a lot more than that. And so I look at – I'm almost looking at this question as more of like what specialized roles are there available on this team right now? What do they need for that position? Like what, what positional needs do they have as a specialized? And I know we just talked about positional needs not being a huge – um, priority for for um, Brad Holmes, but I'm I'm looking at a special teams linebacker. I'm looking at a kick returner. Right? We still we just don't, still really don't know what their plan is there um, in in terms of kicking. I mean, they probably got their punt returner in Khalif, but who's going to be the kick returner? Who's going to be? I would say the, the swing tackle. We still don't know that. Like maybe that's something that they target on a later Darnell day. Um, Washington, maybe it's OB baby, that's who it is. Maybe it's Darnell Washington. I think that's still something that's up for grabs. And so I, I don't, I don't have specific names that maybe fit these guys um, because I'll admit I'm not doing a ton of research on day three guys. Um, I think if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I think it's probably a little bit of a waste of my own time. Um, <laughs> there. But, uh, but I just think I think maybe that's the way you look at it with with some of these like guys because you aren't really looking to get guys. I mean, you're either looking for very high upside guys that that are you know highly variant or guys that can fit those special teams roles. And so I'd be looking maybe at a linebacker, 
maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe offensive tackle, maybe another edge. Um, but it feels like maybe edge is, is something you either take early or you, or you don't take at all. And, and one last thing that I think is uh, maybe a trait or a situation in which they could dra- draft a player. And they've done it before, right? Like you look at James Mitchell, do they look at some of these guys later in rounds and say, Hey, we can grab and stash. This guy should have gone so much higher, but we have depth at position X. Let's let's take a, a guy who might be rehabbing from an injury or something like that in in a later round. Two of my favorite day three guys that can play like that kind of linebacker or maybe like a linebacker edge type hybrid role, but also be like really good special teams players on day one. Uh, Cam Jones out of Indiana, who I think is a downhill uh, run defender. He's one of the better ones in, in, in the draft, but he's. He's going to go on day three. I think he has the upside to develop into more, but he can be an instant special teams contributor at a high level. And then Yasir Abdullah. Total Dan Campbell oh, guy, yeah, though, Three-time right? captain. Cam- yeah, yeah, the monster. Um, I love him. Uh, the other guys, uh, a guy that we took in our uh, mock draft 1.0, which was Yasir Abdullah out of Louisville. He's, a, he's basically a, a lot like James Houston, where he can be a guy who um, can – develop into a, a some some off the ball skills mainly just a pass rusher but he again can be a guy that comes in and, and just kills it on special teams so he's uh he's another guy that i think really fits the mold of uh a guy that they could take on day three and and get real value out of and develop into something uh along the lines of what jeremy was talking about all right appreciate the question all right Daniel. thanks guys it's been great yeah, safe travels, man. Uh, all right, let's bring on John S. Thank you for waiting, John. How are you doing? Sorry, oh, there I, it is. Actually, I canceled myself out. I didn't think I was on anymore. I wasn't around. Actually, it wasn't you. My uh, iPad oh. I was just listening to things online. Um, so Rarely just... has anybody ever beat the second call. So, like, John, like you have joined an elite. <laughs> in a... That's my elite, uh, what, uh, 40 time or uh, short speed <laughs> time, whatever it was. The, uh, okay, just a quick question then. Um, sure. Looking at defensive tackles, a lot of guys that are there. Um, Kansi was one, everyone's high on him. And I had some real concerns. I was going through sort of interviews in some of them uh, looking for a Dan Campbell guy. But I noticed Kansi's arms are really short for a defensive tackle. Is that a, is that a problem other than like, you're talking with the running game before? Was that any other problem? Um, that's the only thing I'll, I'll, you can go through it quickly and then, uh, and uh, I'll just listen to you guys on the air. Thanks a lot. Right. Yeah, no problem, John. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly a, a concern, a major concern, I would say, um, you know, defenders would say that his quickness can, can overcome that. And, and in a lot of cases you, you do see that, like you, there are, there's a certain special unique athlete who's not only twitchy and fast and has that quick first step, but also is just a, a very savvy player that, that can get around that. I mean, remember arm length is something we talked about with Aiden Hutchinson too. Um, but yeah, like I don't, Kalaja Kansi is, is a really tough one for me because you see some of the way he can quickly penetrate and, and most people see that as, as wow, he can be such a weapon as a, as a pass rusher, but that can also be a big weapon in the run game. If you are disrupting things in the backfield, that is run defense as well. So I don't know. I, I'm curious as to what you guys think about how much of, of your opinion of Kalijah Kansi is, is that concern about his arm length. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There's, there's ways that you can win 
if he, despite, you know, some, some physical limitations, for example, his arm length is the exact same length as Isaiah Bugs. So like you can have that arm length and still have an NFL career. It just means you have to win in different ways. Um, Bugs is going to win with uh, power and he's also getting a lot better at his, uh, his hand discipline. And, and how he's utilizing those. And Kansi has to do, he's going to have to do similar things. He's going, he's not going to win with power, but he's going to win with that first step. And, but his, his other aspects are going to have to be on point in over to overcome some of the length issues. So when you're inside, it, it's not as significant because you're in a phone booth, right? But um, arm length, if you're limited that significantly in one area, the other things just have to be that much better. And so the question becomes, with Kansi is, is his hand uh, placement on point? Are his feet working at a level that, that they, that they need to be in order to offset, you know, some of these physical limitations. Ryan, just really quick. Would you be, I, I know we, we kind of addressed this before, but how upset would you be if, if, if Kansi is a pick there at 18? I don't know if I'd be upset. Like, I, I think I would, I think I would, on the idea that the, the, the Lions just see him as a guy who can come in and immediately be a contributor. Now, again, it might be situationally and it might not be the workload that people are anticipating, but like I can come around on the idea just, you know, simply because of what Eric just said, right? Like maybe you have a template in that in bugs and, and they see a guy that they already have on the roster and sure he, he wins in a little bit of a different way, but has, you know, those short arms. So like maybe he has somebody who can really kind of help him grow as a player and find a way to be successful against the run. Because, you know, some of Bugs' best performances have been in run defense, right? Like I think back to the, the Minnesota game, right? Like big play there. Um, it, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, I would come around on it because it's Brad Holmes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Holmes we trust. All right. Uh, thanks for the call, John. Appreciate you. Um, let's go to Dan. You thought we weren't going to bring him on, didn't you? Dan Hi, is guys. here. What's uh, up, buddy? Can you hear me all right? Okay. You're good. So, uh, I, without walking on eggshells, I think, unfortunately, I'm just going to bring the elephant into the room with me. Um, <laughs> and, um, well, it was actually, first off, I just wanted to give Alex Reno some major credit for his sort of uh, review series that he's been doing pre-draft because they've just been fantastic. And it's, it was, it's his running back one that I wanted, I, I got, uh, I, I was commenting, this question comes from, which he just obviously just did. It linked to a story with Bill Barnwell about running backs and the problems about bringing, uh, about picking them in the first round. And I, I'm almost at this point now of like the way you feel about quarterbacks with, with Bijan. I mean, the drug use is high, Ryan, for sure. No question. Um, but uh, I just, it's sort of like, if you're going to get, if, if we're going to get running back, then just, just do it right then and there at the, at the top. I feel that the number 18 pick, I mean, cause it's the Rams pick. It's not our pick. You know what I mean? You know, number 18 pick, you could just go a dozen ways. I'm definitely on the Darnell Wright train. And I, for some reason, I, since this is my penultimate performance, I just want to give credit to Chris at the DLP. Cause I heard, sorry, Eric, I, I heard about Darnell Wright through him first, but uh, I, lo- I love him at 18 and I can't, I wouldn't want to pick Bijan over him at 18. So I'm just, this is my question. 
I'll stop. Oh, sorry. I'll stop. But like, there's this aspect to running backs. They, they, they start from year one. And obviously the, the guy, uh, Bill was using Justin Jefferson and other uh, uh, wide receivers that landed and kicked it. And it's even worse for the cornerbacks. But this whole idea about opportunity costs, you're getting them cheap. Well, it's not really true because in the first year or two, maybe they're, they're not, they're not doing it at, at a full rate or whatever like that. So it's a bit disingenuous on our analytics. And I know analytics gets thrown under the bus whenever it's possible, but I'm just saying, a running back can come and 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 and, um, and and add immediately. Like there's just if they're a running back that we want, you know, in, in this kind of conversation that we're talking about. And I hate to say this, but like Jameer Gibbs seems to be falling into that late first, early second, which scares the bejesus out of me because, like the the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing. And expecting different results. And we, you know, like, uh, you know, Jameer gives and an, an sort of a swift replacement and all this kind of stuff and early second. It's like, I don't know, man. So I, obviously I don't know. And sorry, Caden, but I'll stop now and let you guys. <laughs> no worries, Dan. Um, yeah, I, I do suggest people check out that Bill Barnwell article because it is, it is interesting. It is, I think opportunity cost is, is kind of the more interesting part of that discussion when it comes to running backs. It's not so much that you don't get, uh, a, a lot of value out of a running back. It's just that there are running backs available in free agency. There are running backs readily available later. You don't get the top tier edges. You don't get the top tier wide receivers. You don't get the top tier quarterbacks a lot uh, as, as an option in free agency. And so it's not so much taking a running back as it is missing out on an opportunity at an elite player, an elite position. But Man, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I can take this conversation anymore. I feel like people are probably sick of me talking about running backs and values and things like that. So I, I do want to reiterate, though, that if the Lions take Bijan Robinson at 18, I'm not going to go mad like a lot of people think. Uh, I, I do think he's, a, he's a, an extremely talented player. I do think he's going to find a good spot here on this roster and, and, and fill the, a long-term need for the team that's going to be exciting. I just think... Like I just said, I think there there are better ways to spend that pick. I agree with you that the the value in finding players, uh, especially at certain ones like edge and, and like you said, wide receiver, the, they're getting those guys early typically has a much better hit rate. Whereas you can find running backs a little bit later in the draft. The trick is, and, and, and this was, I think, a piece a, a part of the puzzle that was left out of the Barnwell piece was. You have to still find the right running back because there are 20 running backs that might get drafted in this draft, but how many of them are, let's say 15 of them go on day three. You have to pick the right one of those 15 in order to be the guy that gets featured in a Bill Barnwell article as the success story, right? So the hit rate on taking a running back early is still really high compared to taking one on day three. There's just a lot more success stories of guys that you get on day three that end up finding success than you do have at other positions. Then you add in the fact that it's, you know, there are committees all over the NFL now at the the position. And so that tends to devalue it as well. The trick is, is that, and this is my, I guess my pushback against the, you can just get a guy later is you still have to pick the right guy. And there's for every one guy that you, that you find that is the Isaiah Pachenko's there's another 12 to 15 guys that got drafted on day three that are not doing anything right. That are, that are, uh, uh, you know, Jamar Jefferson's right. Sitting on the practice squads. Right. And so that's the trick is yes. There's success stories, 
but you still have to hit on the right guy. And that's not as easy as, as it, you know, appears when you look at, read articles like, like the Barnwell one, even though I, well, right. I agree that the Barnwell articles got a lot of value. I just, you still have to hit the right guy. Right. I mean, there's, it's tough bringing like an analytical discussion to a very individualized draft, right? Like part, part of his argument too, though, is, is it is harder to hit on a first round running back than it is just about any other position in the first round when you're talking about long-term value. And, and so mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's, that, that's a point that deserves to be brought up, but we're also talking about a very specific individual in B. John Robinson who looks like a very special player by all indications. And, and people are talking about him being the mm-hmm. best guy in, in five, six, 10, 15 years. Right. I think I saw someone today say, Best since 2003, like best running back prospect. And so how much do you bring the analytical discussion into someone that a lot of people believe is an outlier? And of course, every year you get this, right? Like you get a guy, the, the word generational talent is thrown around every other year for guys, which is obviously ironic since generational means what every 30, 40 years. Um, so I, it, it, it's always hard to to balance that analytical debate when you're talking about guys that you be, that, that uh, I would say a consensus of people believe is that special player, and that's all I'll say on Bijan Robinson. <laughs> sorry, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe Ryan doesn't have anything. I, I, I uh, sorry. There's this there's this aspect with uh, a running back, and and people are trying to read the tea leaves with Dan. Obviously, about him saying we, you know, we're not going to keep Jared for ten years. But literally, another person talking about a quarterback, and he goes, "We've got one." Like there was an immediate response from him. Like I, I apologize because I wanted Malik last year, and I'm not trying to say we're not going to take Anthony if he's there at six. I'm sure they would really, really think about it, but I don't know. Um, but I, I think Jared's here for a while. I mean, we, and, and and really and truly, it's about the money. I mean, you've got to say they're running back at six is going to earn it because he's going to play it unless he's injured. You know what I mean? And we, it's ironic as well because we've, you know, we traded Jeff. I don't think as if we picked Bijan that we would necessarily trade uh, Swift because I think we, we see the value of having a running back uh, room that is awesome and, and basically offers all three, uh, offers the same looks across all three players with multiplicity, raising the floor, all these foundational things they've talked about. I know it's crazy. And, and the thing is, is that like, I know you don't use, I mean, everyone uses the perfect pick. So obviously it's like, would you, would you regret missing Barry Sanders? And of course it's a, it's a terrible question to ask, but it's like, if we don't let those players in, I mean, it, what is JMO? He's the wide receiver equivalent. You know, if we get an Anthony Richardson, who's a running quarterback, how long do we keep him? Do you know what I mean? How long will he last? So I, I apologize and to everyone for going long. Thank you so much. And uh, all the best. I, just just two things real quick. If if you didn't like the return for Jeff Okuda, you will really not like the return for DeAndre Swift. Uh, and then the other thing that I just think is interesting about the Bijan conversation is the just the assumption that he's going to be great. You know what I mean? Like, I, I understand he very very high floor player in terms of what he did in college will translate to the NFL, and he 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 could be great. He could be really really great. It's just that there's this operating assumption that like there's no other outcome, right? Like he's going to be great no matter what. It's like, okay, well, there's room for him not working uh, for a variety of reasons, right? Like it could be injury. 
It could be, hey, you're getting buried on a depth chart and you're only playing so many snaps, especially in Detroit. Like you just signed David Montgomery if Swift sticks around. Like, yeah, Bijan's going to play, but like how much is he going to play? Um, which I understand kind of goes against a lot of our arguments that we've made about like, hey, take best player available. And, you know, even if you're taking somebody like Darnell Wright at 18, hey, he might not even play in year one. Uh, he could certainly push for, a, 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 you know, the, the right guard spot. But, you know, if, if Graham outplays him, well, now you have the guy that you spent the 18th pick on and, he, and he's sitting on sitting on the bench. So I, all that aside, I, I just think that it, it making the assumption that he's going to be great and I, I think that's where you can kind of get into, you know, begging the question and, and kind of arguing in a circle. I'll let you have the last word there. No, I was just gonna say, like, I, I think one of the things that Barnwell pointed out that was um, that was worth noting was that he mentioned the fact that if you think Bijan is going to be like make multiple Pro Bowls and he's has like a Hall of Fame type of grade, then you take him in the first. Like, if you if that's what you see when you evaluate him, but if it's short of that, then you're not getting the best bang for your buck. And I think that's like the summarization essentially. Right. And so it really just depends on what are the, does he have that level? Like, does he have, like, we all think he's got this high level grade, but for his, for the position, like how high, how big of a separator is he from, you know, the next guy or over the last few draft classes. And if it's significant enough that he's the best player in the last 10 years at the position, then he's, he, he's probably worth 18. And if he's not, well, then maybe he's not worth 18. Right. And so that's, that's the trick is how, what's the ceiling and, and, you know, what's, what do the lines have him graded at? That's the question that I guess we just don't know. Well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, we will close out our penultimate episode of the Spotify live sessions here. We'll do a little bit of overtime for our live audience here, but that means we got one more of these left. And that means that if you want to be a part of these Spotify lives and be one of the call-in guests, make sure to download the Spotify live Apple. It's still in the store. Uh, join us on Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern. Follow at Pride of Detroit on the app so that you can join us live for the final episode of our Spotify live call-in shows right before the NFL draft. But until next time, for Eric, for Ryan, thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be kind.